The final frontier begins. This is about saving the future of humanity. This is a huge victory for the good guys. You've never seen Voyager. Commitment to this course of action is not emotional. Study, beam us up. Welcome to another episode of Beam Me Up, a Star Trek podcast. I am Brent Allen, your host, and I have seen every episode of Star Trek multiple times. And I'm Matt Sonnenberg, and this is my first time through the series. And this is the show where we believe that the world needs Star Trek. So I am personally on a mission to introduce as many people as I can to Star Trek, and I'm starting with Matt right here. I know that over 780 plus hours of content can seem daunting, so this podcast is all about pairing it down into a manageable chunk of key episodes like the one we're about to discuss today. That's right. But if you're ready to join the Klingon Scientific Exchange Program, head over to beamiapod.com and send us an inquiry. I'll be sure to get you all the details just as soon as Starfleet Command shares them with me. But until that day comes, you can fill your time with more Star Trek content by checking out our Patreon page. Once you become a patron, you'll have access to all the extra viewing episodes you need to fill up your free time until Jordy gets the warp drive back online. See you there. And whatever you do, don't sabotage the warp drive, okay, guys? It would be much appreciated. Yes. Today's episode is the 21st episode of season four of Star Trek The Next Generation, titled The Drumhead. Or as I like to call it, Matt, the reason why the world needs Star Trek. In case you guys don't remember or didn't watch this one first, this is the one where a retired admiral comes on board the Enterprise to suss out a traitor and winds up turning it against Captain Picard himself. Now, Matt, this Mm -hmm. is one of those episodes that I always like to kind of say to us at the beginning, I want to make sure we're interacting with the message and the content of the episode and not just the the entertainment value and the sci-fi ex- aspect of it, although that is certainly a part of it as well. Yeah. Um, but before we get into all the nitty gritty details of how this episode wrapped out, I'm curious, you've now watched the drumhead twice as it were. Uh, Matt, what are your opening thoughts on this episode, the drumhead? It actually opens... I. <sighs> I don't, it opens in a way that I don't know where it's going necessarily, mm-hmm. but was able to deliver a very strong message by the end of it. Because like you open it up thinking this is going to be another Klingon episode or something. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that what you're talking about? And then all of a sudden it's not that at all. It, it, it turns out to barely be about that. Right. Right. Have you, have you noticed a theme with a lot of Star Trek episodes that kind of do that? Like it starts off one way and then all of a sudden it, it like, remember when we did brothers a couple of weeks ago, like yeah. it was data and this subterfuge and this, this like action mission impossible type thing. And then it turns out it's a family reunion show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So wh- whatever the opening contains, it- it's probably just a subplot. There you go. There you go. All right. Um, well, like I said, Matt, we're, we'll get into all the all those details and we'll figure out exactly. We'll follow you kind of on your journey of discovery over the course of this, because as you said, this does certainly get to be a uh, is it right to call it a heavy episode? I think it's that's probably the word that I was going to use. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a heavy episode, but it's a poignant episode. Very and much. this is this is not one that I could skip. Um, I think when we talk about the uh, what the what the show means, I think when we talk about Patrick Stewart as an actor. I, he is in, he is in, in master form in this episode, I believe. Um, and, and like I said, we'll get into, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll get into all of that. But before we do that, Matt, I've got a couple of spotlights 
spotlights. I want to shine on some of the production crew as we go around, uh, go around the deal here. Now, this episode mm-hmm. is yet another episode directed by Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> so uh, I believe this is now his third episode we've directed. We've watched one, two, and three. Uh, the first one being The Offspring, the last one being a couple weeks ago with Reunion, and then this one. But this one was also written by a lady named Jerry Taylor. Matt, do you remember the name Jerry Taylor? I can't say that i really do okay you you i've only mentioned it once i think mm-hmm. uh if you remember back when we were talking about michael pillar and we said sure. that michael pillar goes on and becomes a, an executive producer becomes a showrunner for next generation and then he jumps over to go do ds9 right after okay. he leaves to go do ds9 jerry taylor takes up the show running responsibilities for next generation for the remainder of the of the run and then when next generation is over she is one of the creators along with michael pillar uh for um voyager and she carries voyager uh down down the stretch so um she's a mover and shaker in the world of star trek she's a she's a big name in star trek we'll talk about her more as we get down the road in a more appropriate time i just want to point out this is the this is an episode i I can't say this is the first episode written by her this is the first episode we are doing that is written by jerry taylor as she's starting to come into the star trek picture for us uh, here with this episode um let's see here as far as actors inside the show admiral nora Satie. that i I don't know how I could not talk about her. She is played by really the incomparable Gene Simmons. Um, she's an icon in Hollywood. Matt, have you ever heard of, of Gene Simmons? No. After watching her in this episode, would you have any trouble believing that she was a huge, huge, huge name back in her day, the fifties and the sixties and the seventies? I believe it. Yeah, yeah she was. They, she was. She they, was. Something. Star Trek has a way of of showcasing who they want to showcase very well. Yes, yes, they do. And and Star Trek has a way really of pulling these. Well, quite honestly, these Shakespearean type actors mm-hmm. and actresses into their fold. And and you know, Star Trek is often compared to Shakespeare. Star Trek pulls a lot from Shakespeare, and Shakespeare has a lot of influence in into the world of Star Trek. So, uh, but it, it is played by Gene Simmons. Um, like I said, Matt, she was definitely before our time, but her active career began all the way back in 1944. Okay, which for the record is during World War II. Uh, she yeah. began this, and it carried all the way through 2009. Um, and she passed away in. January of 2010. So she was working really right up until, you know, pretty close to the end at the age of 80 when she did pass away. Um, but she was a huge, huge, huge get for Star Trek. And, you know, all the actors and the production crew and everything were just in awe sure. of her. So, um, but that that's it as far as the character actor spotlights. I just had to give her a shout out. Um, and then certainly uh, Jerry Taylor and John Frakes. All right, Matt. Well, I guess the time has come. It's time to dive down deep into the drum head. I'm going to go through this scene by scene, Matt. You tell me where to stop, where to pause, and and take us through how you experienced this episode. Will do. For the very first time, mm-hmm. the drumhead. Prologue. There's a trial going on board the Enterprise. It seems that a Klingon science officer, Lieutenant Jadan, doing, you know, one of those exchange programs we've talked about a few times, may or may not be guilty of stealing technical draw- drawings of the Enterprise's warp engine and giving it to the Romulans. Oh, yeah, there was also this explosion that happened right around the same time that disabled the warp drive. So, you know, he's on the hook for that as well. Jadan tries pulling the race card, but hey, wait a minute. Our chief of security on the Enterprise is also a Klingon, so that's got nothing to do with it, pal. Worf escorts the prisoner out, and Deanna thinks he's definitely hiding something. So it would seem. My first question for you. Yes. Why do we have so many exchange programs with the Klingons? (laughs) Yeah. I I, I mean, for, for someone that we don't necessarily get along with very well, 
like usually I think of an exchange program either between, you know, two countries that are, are, are very friendly with each other mm-hmm. or two countries that that are neutral towards each other and just, you know, want to learn more. But mm-hmm. as far as like races and cultures within the Federation are concerned, I think this is about as far away as we can get from each other. Yeah, like, but keep but keep in mind the history of the Klingons in the Federation and how um and it, 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 what's the word Anim, animos animitus animitus <laughs> how mean they were to each other, Matt. <laughs> That's sure. what I'm saying. And it, granted, they have since formed an alliance. They have since become friends, but there is still some of that underlying misunderstandings about each other. So in an attempt to foster that newfound friendship, they have, they have done this. What, what gets me is the idea that while they do this exchange program, they don't do like a a simultaneous exchange. Like, Hey, we're going to send Riker over there while we get your guy here. No, no, it's Mm -hmm. Wilson Riker over there. And then sometime sometime later later, we'll complete the exchange portion of this. Right. Right. But I do think this is the first time we've heard about this exchange program being something that's not in the command zone. Sure. You know, um, and speaking of which, like I, for whatever reason, I don't see the Klingons being interested in science. You know, that's a very good point, but don't they kind of have to be? Because somehow they developed the warp engine. Somehow somebody keeps that that ship going. Okay. Somebody, so, they uh, have to know science. Uh, they I, I, Somebody I, develops phasers or, or disruptors or whatever they have. I could see, okay, they, 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 you, you have a point. They have to develop warp. Uh-huh. Otherwise, they wouldn't be where they are. Right. Uh, past that, I, I, like, I could see them just kidnapping scientists and saying you work for us now <laughs> i mean that, that that's the impression that i have of klingons right now uh-huh. like th- that'd be more their style like give us your technology as opposed to we're gonna develop it ourselves mm. so i don't know mm. My, my my two cents there hey, hey could you could you consider this idea though what? okay like so so mostly the only interactions we've had with klingon society is the warrior yeah. right like the the military side of it right which granted we that, see them that through feels like the, that's their whole culture <laughs> because it feels like a monoculture but like what if their whole culture is actually really ruled by like philosophers and scientists and they're like yeah you guys just go out there and run around and i mean don't we kind of do that with our own military like hey you jarheads you go on out there and and go you know kick some butt and keep us safe we'll we'll stay back here at, at home and be okay did i just offend somebody i hope i did not i i was gonna say that i was trying to be i was trying to be funny i was trying to be more funny like i get where you're coming from yeah. but yeah that's that, that that's like hey yeah you, you want to start a fight we're gonna kick you off the planet onto these ships here mm-hmm. right that that we'll, we'll call it a military yes. yeah you, yeah you guys go have fun you guys go have fun playing in the mud and we'll uh uh-huh. We'll stay here drinking our tea and our crumbles. Thank you for watching the wall. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. No, it, it the Klingon culture is certainly supposed to be a bit monoculture, but they do have to have science officers. They do science. They science has to be a thing. I guess it makes sense. Yeah. 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 But yeah, you're right to go. I don't really see that in them. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's not. At least from what I've seen. Yeah. Maybe, no. maybe, maybe uh, have to your recollection. Have we ever had an interaction with a Klingon science officer before? No. Okay. No. no. Well, no, I take that back. When, when Riker went over and did his side of the exchange program, there were science officers on board the ship. I don't know if they actually pointed one out, but you know, so yeah. we would have had those interactions, but it, it's not, 
you know, you, you can't imagine who the engineer is down there tinkering, loving engines, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's they, just not a thing. They didn't so. have a, they didn't seem to have a Scotty on board. Yeah. Yeah. And Jordy. you know, I, I think I'll give it to the writers. They're still developing, you know, sure. This Matt, I don't know if you remember this, but there was, it was way back when we were still doing the original series as part of this run and talking about the Klingons. And I was saying, I was talking about the differences of the Klingons. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. this really isn't representative talking about the original series guys. This isn't representative of the Klingons that we know that we come to know and love. And you looked at me and you went, you mean they're different? I went, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember that at all or not, but I think about that whenever we get to a clean episode. Sure. So my other question for you yeah. is why does everybody keep giving the Romulans information or feeding the Romulans information? Why aren't the Romulans coming and taking it themselves? Are, are, yeah. are, is everybody so, I, I mean, are, are the Romulans that powerful that everybody just like, I don't like fealty feel, feel, <laughs> feels that they need to, you know, steal information. Oh, get, give it to the king so right. they don't aren't, aren't angry with us. I right. mean, is that what's going on here? Well, here, here's my theory. Here's my theory with it. Go all the way back to the sins to the the episode "Sins of the Father." Mm-hmm. Right, that's the one with Worf and the discommendation. Right, and yep, the crux we'll of that to. was that that Duras's father was in league with the Romulans, and he was giving them a bunch of of stuff. Oh, by the way. Duras's family had a lot of support on the Klingon High Council and everything, right? And then we go to the episode we had a couple weeks ago, Reunion, where you know Worf winds up killing Duras, but still, you know, what's left of his family? What if Lieutenant Jadan was a part of Duras's family or one of the people who supported the Duras family? And so therefore maybe, he maybe is it's actually just a smaller sect of Klingons that we keep running into that keep feeding the, the Romulans. The, the, right. That actually maybe has has a lot more influence and power than um, you know, what what that's that's my working theory about who Jadan is. There is zero, Matt. I mean, absolutely zilch that confirms that Jadan was uh-huh. anywhere near connected to the Duras family. Fair enough. You know, I think I think from a writing standpoint, the Romulans are just sort of supposed to be the boogeyman who is always who's always heard but never seen like their their presence is very well felt and we we just don't see a lot mm-hmm. of them but they just sort of are always there they're that boogeyman out there um yeah. so i think on on a writing level that's partially why we see it but my head canon my in-universe canon in my head is jadan is is connected to the duras family somehow yeah like, i like it, my theory better it, 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 if if i'm gonna feed information to anybody to to mm-hmm. to stay on their good side i think it'd be the borg right but now here's here's the other thing matt and you wouldn't know this like mm-hmm. in a map of the future the klingons and the romulans are right next to each other it's like it's like there's the federation there's the romulans and then there's the klingons like in like the those three points those three like sectors will like come to like a t like a point okay so they're all kind of right there together so but that's why you're going to see that's why another reason why you see the klingons and the romulans often having uh, exchanges so, so you mean like physically close to each other yeah like as, they're as, they're as, space, as far as space their is borders concerned. border each other okay as well as the federation space as well so it all sort of meets i guess yeah it's weird to think about borders in space but uh-huh. it's it, we'll eventually it, it, get to the other side of federation space and who borders that other side but we, we haven't I, got there yet I, I mean i think it's weird that we draw a border in the middle of lake michigan to you know right oh, these are wisconsin's waters these are michigan's waters I'm like, uh-huh. really okay i don't understand how in space you draw borders like that with space that expands in three dimensions uh-huh, uh-huh. like I, I can see how you can draw borders like on a two-dimensional plane i don't i don't know how that works at some point can't you just fly over the border <laughs> 
Well, well, the, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, technically, our borders here are in three dimensions, especially when they're in the water. Yeah, but they go up and down, you know, uh, until you go you, to outer you, space. You can fly over the borders, literally. <laughs> right, but then if you, but then you're in our airspace, and we can shoot you down. So you're still technically part of our thing. So like, why can't the same thing happen in space? I, I guess, but but it's but it's space. Everything moves in three directions. Like I don't know, I, you know. Eh. Anyway, more more sci-fi nerddom than I care to think yep. about. They, 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 hey, their, their technology has 3D maps and, you know, this way up. So it's, uh-huh. they got it figured out. How they it they got it all figured out. There you go. We got hundreds of years to get there. There you go. I'm not going to be the one figuring that out. I got things. All right. Let's get back to the show. On their way back to his quarters, the Klingon is trying to bribe Worf for access to the shuttlecraft. Hey, I could restore your family name. Once in the quarters, though, Worf gives him the old what for? We're going to tell the Klingon High Council and they're going to put you to a slow death. And we go to credits. From now on, uh-huh. if the the within the first interaction Worf has with any other Klingon, they do not bring up his discombination. I'm going to be very disappointed. Fair enough. I fair enough. That, that, that's apparently a thing. Apparently, that's what you do. Yeah. Will you? Will you also have that same? About it. Like, if there's a, a Klingon coming on board, that Worf has to bring it up too. Can we work that like both ways? Like, they have to bring it up, but Worf can also bring it up himself. Is that is that fair? I guess it could work. Okay. There you go. I mean, I I have more of a feeling he doesn't like to talk about it, but they they always like to rub it in his face. So really, you don't think Worf likes to talk about it? Because I I think Worf loves to bring it up. I really do. <laughs> my discommendation i must bear th- like i think he he loves the idea that he has to bear this and he wants everybody to see that he's bearing this this but cross like he, he's he's he wants everybody to know look at me i am bearing this discommendation and i alone am bearing this discommendation when whenever he does have to talk about it yes he he plays it as you know it, this, it's, it's a huge burden for me, uh-huh. but until he's forced to talk about it, right. he tends to hide it, I think, or try to hide it. Yeah. Although then it's like, okay, Worf, what's up? Let it out. Yeah, Come on, man. Let's go have a drink. You get some prune juice and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Act one, Admiral Nora Settee has arrived to assist in the investigation. Since we skipped the last episode that she was in, apparently way back in season one, let's get to know her. She's an elder, severe looking woman. She's very serious about her job. She has two lackeys with her, a male beta Zed and a female assistant. The female is kind of like her personal secretary and the male advisor. Uh, he's kind of like her Deanna to her Picard, if that makes sense. All right, everyone caught up? Great. She wants to get started right away. They head down to engineering, and radiation is still preventing them from entering the engine room, but they have a video which clearly sets the Admiral even more on edge. But before we get out of the scene, we take a look at the warp engine. Man, that thing is really busted up, isn't it? Quick production note about this, Matt. Yeah. So this this episode that we skipped that she was in way back in season one, mm-hmm. uh, she it, it was an episode called Conspiracy. Okay. And if you, Picard says, you know, she <laughs> helped us out with the conspiracy incident, and da, 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 da. So this is so, conspiracy part two. Yeah, sort of. Except here's the thing. If you go back and watch that episode, she wasn't in it. Huh. And not only was she not in it, she wasn't even mentioned in it. 
So this is a hundred percent happen. The, the episode really happened. Like in the episode that they're talking about that they're referring to in like this uh-huh, captain's uh-huh. log is that episode from season one that we skipped, which by the way, several people asked me if we could go do it because they really liked the episode. No, I, I, I that's a personal yeah, and we don't need it to move forward in, in time. But, uh, um, uh, but yeah, she, th- this is a complete and total retcon that she was anywhere even near involved in that whole situation. Hmm. Yes. That's weird. Yes. So, but yeah, uh, warp engine explodes. Uh-huh. It, I find it questionable already that, okay, great. They have footage of the warp engine exploding, mm-hmm. but if you have sec- all this security footage, why don't you go find some security footage of someone tampering with it? Ah, that's a good point, Matt. That is a good point. <laughs> okay, we saw the explosion, but rewind further. What right. happened before the explosion? Right, right. And I mean, they, go ahead. they tell us like it was all good up until 52 milliseconds before the explosion. I'm like, dude, 52 milliseconds? Right. That, that That's a split second before it happened. Like, mm-hmm. I, that tells me nothing. 52 that's, milliseconds that's not before even, That's not even a single frame of exactly film right yeah it's 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 interesting i'm glad you bring that up because i'm thinking about this like i can go to an app on my phone mm-hmm. and i can pull up a video feed of everything that's happening from my front door yeah like it's just there it's constantly there mm-hmm. i can go pull it mm-hmm. up and and anytime somebody walks in there i get a little alert hey there's motion by your front door you yeah. know a cat's well, running like, across my yard and i get a I, notification of it i don't sit here and question how they have footage or why they have a camera on the warp drive i don't mm-hmm. question when we get uh when on the ship they're looking at footage of their ship as uh-huh. like shot from outer space right. <laughs> like they, they can see the out uh, the exterior of their ship from inside the ship i'm like i fine you have the technology i don't care right. you, you have a satellite out somewhere who's take constantly taking pictures to your ship sounds good I, however the technology works that's fine i'm not questioning any of that but it's like if you have so much surveillance why can't you tell me who tampered with it that's a good point that's a that's a very good point because i bet you probably can go all the way back to the surveillance to i don't know when they were at the last time in space talk <laughs> And that was the last person to touch it? Well, you know. Well, maybe there's some other maintenance. Maybe, maybe. But hey, we're not there yet. In the ready room, Captain Picard and uh, Admiral Satie are discussing what Starfleet Command may or may not know about a Romulan-Klingon alliance. Sadie is less than forthcoming about it. Picard mentions that they've had several dealings lately that might suggest such an alliance is actually happening, to which Satie replies, I'm aware. Q Worf to come in and change the subject with news that they know how Jadan got the information out to the Romulans. He used a hypospray that has been modified to encode the information into a liquid injected into an unknowing accomplice through amino acids. Or as Satie suggests, maybe a willing accomplice? The Admiral is very impressed with Worf, and Picard seems, well, we don't really know what he thinks just yet. <laughs> but yes, very, very impressed with Worf. Uh, she, mm. she just, this is the most cheerful I think we ever see her in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's like at this point, it's like, wow, I love this guy. He's going to be so useful in the interrogation, and he found all, out all this information for us. Like, right. give me more Worf. But obviously that that changes. Yeah. In any case, yeah. from which, by the way, I find this yeah. very, very interesting mm-hmm. in light of the conversation that we're about to have between Worf and uh, the the male beta Z assistant. And I forget his name off the top of my head. We'll get to it here in just a minute. But uh, there, there's a conversation that happens with them that highlights a, 
it harkens back to this particular conversation with just how excited and accepting Sati is in this particular yeah. case. Sabin, that's his Sabin, name. Sabin, thank you, thank you. Yep. Uh, but yeah, you, you make a good point there. But before you get there, that the, the, the tech here, once uh-huh. again, that you might not necessarily think of as tech because they're talking about blood and amino acids and... Uh-huh. And all this other biological stuff. And I'm like, I don't think I ever would have come up with this, like just theoretically, because as far as I know, we can't do this. But the technology to transfer information somehow into the bloodstream, like, mm-hmm. wow, that's that, that's at a very minimum, that's super creative. Yeah. Good job, show writers. <laughs> yes. But that that's not something... I could be wrong about this, but I don't think I've ever seen that in sci-fi before. Um, I can't say about seeing that in sci-fi, but I will tell you this is the very first time you're ever seeing this technology in Star Trek. Uh, okay. Because that's one of my notes is, is this is the this is where we establish the idea of genetically encoding secret information in order to be carried inside somebody's body. So, th- so this isn't the only time they use it. That is correct. It comes up <laughs> one other time that I can think of. Okay. I will be surprised if we see this more than that, but it, it, they, it's, it's kind of one of those things like they bring this back up like a lot later and you're like, Oh, look at that. Oh, that's like, if you know uh-huh. the history, you're like, Oh, but other than that, yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not an overly used thing, but it's, it's weird. It's, it's definitely weird. It's, it's definitely weird. And I mean, I might almost be upset if they, if they used it too much. Right. Right. Because it does seem like, you know, a, a difficult process and mm-hmm. something that might be highly guarded as not only just how to do it, but because it could be used for so many evil purposes potentially right that you don't want that technology to get out to the public really sure sure and it, it and honestly it could become such a such a, a crutch and a like deus ex machina type mm-hmm. device mm-hmm. that yeah yeah no i'm with you but yes this this is the first time they're establishing that um and i've i can't think of any other sci-fi show i've ever seen in it that they encoded all i mean i i don't know i feel like i could see someplace where they've encoded something in somebody's dna but well, I, uh, I, that's not quite the same thing as this. I'm not yeah, uploading and downloading files it, exactly. like in a rewritable that, that, drive. That feels like, yeah. like you, you see a lot of like, oh, we, we stuck this chip under your skin or maybe even a chip in your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And then you recover that chip that has the files on it. But I, I, I can't say that we, we like radio and TV and stuff still blow my mind how that actually works. Mm-hmm. How that data just flies across the air and right. yeah. Well, I mean, it's so, it's Matt. Let me ask you: Are you hardwired in right now, or are you are you on Wi-Fi for for your internet uh, computer at home? This this computer is the only one that's hardwired, but okay. yeah, everything else in my house is great. I'm Wi-Fi. on I'm on Wi-Fi, and hey, peel back the curtain of how Beam Me Up Pod works. <laughs> You're in Wisconsin, and I'm yes. in Florida. <laughs> So mm-hmm. we're obviously connecting over the internet, but I mean, think about like, this is happening in real time through the air to a router for me and then up to you in Wisconsin and then back. And we're holding this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's cra- 
crazy how that works. It is. It is. And uh, like, I still don't fully understand how it all works. And so it it seems even crazier to me to be able to say, hey, we're going to take this conversation and inject it into your bloodstream. Right. And then pull it out later. Um, What? Right. Okay. Right. Like what if, what if you lost like a paragraph in your leg? <laughs> it didn't come yeah, back yeah. up. You, you lose it in a different part of your body you know? or it's like, oh, maybe I, you got I, a little bit of blockage in an artery and it gets caught back there somewhere, you know, too or, much bacon. Or, or if you get a paper cut and lose some blood and right. it's like, right. oh, sorry, I missed the first sentence. Um, yeah. Can you send that back? It turns out that's the uh, key, the crux of the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Had the password in it. Right. Right. Uh, back to the episode at the trial, Worf is interrogating Jadan as the Admiral has requested. Worf keeps putting the pressure on until Jadan breaks, essentially confessing to allying with the Romulans, but he still denies sabotaging the warp engine drive to Lithium Chamber. Picard orders Jadan confined, but Sadie's beta Z advisor, Sabin, confirms that he probably was telling the truth. He stole the files, but didn't damage the warp engine. And if he's right, there's a much bigger problem here than just one Klingon exchange officer. Dun, dun, dun! Once again, I'm not really sure what to think here. Mm. I don't think you're supposed to this early in the episode. (laughs) I mean, it's okay. So he admitted to the first part, but that can't be the entire episode. Right. And I think it's very important to note that Saban thinks he is not lying. Right. Like what what he said is true. So he he, mm-hmm. he stole the files. He did not mess with the warp engine. Right. Okay. We'll keep that in mind. Keep going. Mm-hmm. All right. Act two. All right. You're thinking it. I'm thinking it. We're all thinking it. So I'm just going to say it. Conspiracy. Sadie and Picard are, ha- are having uh, tea in someone's quarters. I don't know whose it is, actually. They're starting to get along and they're having an increase respect for each other as this whole process is going down. Picard wins her over even a little bit more with the mention of her late father, Judge Aaron Satie, whose writings were required reading at the Academy. And as you might expect from a daughter, she loved and adored her father, and she owes everything that she is to him. Sabin and Worf are down in the conference room, and Sabin tells Worf, due to his own father's history with the Romulans, to which Worf bristles a bit, that he, meaning Sabin, thought that Worf was a possible security risk. But after seeing Worf in action, neither Sabin nor the Admiral feel that way anymore. And Worf assures Sabin that he will get to the bottom of the conspiracy as he stands a little taller. So kind of parallel conversations here. Yeah. Right. That I I really don't like thinking that the the Admiral and and her aide came into this situation not wanting to trust the crew of the Enterprise, especially mm-hmm. the higher ups. Right. Right. It's like I I resented being assigned to work with you, Picard, uh-huh. but she changed her mind. And then Worf was initially considered a possible security risk, but he's the security officer. And I, OK, I get you have to have to keep everybody in mind at the very beginning of an investigation mm-hmm. but it sounds like it was is very pointed at these two mm-hmm. it's like yeah we don't trust you guys but we're, we're, we're gonna pretend to work with you I, like is that really the best way like if you're if you're gonna investigate them just investigate them right don't play it off as like oh yeah we're best buds and oh Okay, it turns out you're all right. Not now we're I guess that's one technique, but I don't like it. Yeah. 
Um, I, I like how you mentioned that these are parallel conversations mm-hmm. um, because I, you know, it, it's, we're, we're definitely setting up the rift that happens later by, by putting these two together um, and, and each one like with their counterparts mm-hmm. and, you know, so kind of fast forward, like, like we see Worf, like he almost is won over to their side. Like yeah. he wants to find this. Like, he wants he, to believe him. He wants to prove them right. He starts to bond with them almost yeah. as, as, you know, security guard with, you know, this this investigator mm-hmm. and it, but it, but 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 notice the difference of how picard winds up at the end of this episode versus where Worf goes like Worf becomes almost someone who he really isn't like it it really is him it's yes. him at his base level but it's not at his higher functioning level uh, as a it, it's not with Worf's humanity i should say whereas picard like he sees the warning signs and he doesn't go down that road yes and it all starts in in this conversation of these two being juxtaposed together sure but like picard keeps his his cool head his mm. his leadership role Worf goes down a bad path because uh, I, once again I, I honestly i wonder if this plays into him trying to make up for the discombination I, that's a, that's a great observation matt recently been brought yeah. up again it's like no i have to prove myself i have to prove i'm not a traitor i have to prove like yeah okay yeah they and Worf they give him just, a little bit of respect and a little bit of honor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's just he's gonna run with it yeah dr crusher is now on the witness stand at the trial uh, hearing hearing i'm sorry it's a hearing <laughs> they're questioning her about this hypo spray of jadans turns out she didn't do the administering herself it was her assistants well let's get one of the assistants in here his name is simon tarsus he's a mousy sort of guy seems nervous which is a little weird considering he's like a quarter vulcan picard offers him counsel but he declines after all he has nothing to hide he was the one who gave jadan his injections well like he did it like once or twice never noticed anything out of the ordinary he's excused but before they bring the next guy in saban tells him hey that guy tarsus he's definitely hiding something he's covering a big lie one that's so big it's overwhelming and saban thinks they've found the guy Okay, so before we get into the big conversation here, yeah, I will say that I was mad at you for about five seconds. Oh, okay. when they opened the door, like after after the interview, Crusher let her go. Uh-huh. They opened the door. The next guy standing right there. I thought for sure it was Wesley. Oh, really? Yeah. So why? So, why? Wait. Why would you be mad at me for that? Because you told me he was gone. Oh yeah, yeah. Wesley's gone. Yeah, he's a, he's at the academy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. and, and so like like two episodes later, he shows up again. I'm like, wait, you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah matt people so. matt i i wish you guys should have seen matt's face when i told him a couple of weeks ago that wesley was leaving the show he was so heartbroken over wesley leaving the show he still is you should see his face now just thinking about it yeah but yep. it wasn't wesley matt let's get back to the no, show it wasn't, it wasn't wesley yeah it wasn't wesley so yeah. i couldn't be mad at you but I, I mean, he's about the right age and uh-huh. he was just in the background briefly and it's, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so if we are to believe that Saban can do what he does very well uh-huh. and like he, he told us last time that and like the other guy, he stole the information. He did not sabotage warp drive. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Now what does Saban tell us? He tells us that he's hiding something. He doesn't even specifically say like he he's lying about this specific thing we asked him about. Right. No, no, he's hiding something. Right. Okay. And we and Lots we know of- by the way, like like yeah. we, let's let's do this in light of full knowledge of how the episode turns out. Yeah. What he's hiding has nothing to do with what they're asking him about. Yeah. Yeah. It has something 
something to do with something. Yeah. And lots of people hide things. Sure. I, I'm sure I have secrets. And if someone brought me down to an interrogation and I, I haven't, I haven't done anything recently mm-hmm. to my knowledge, I haven't done anything wrong or evil or bad or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've been a good boy, but y- you, you pull me down into interrogation and you have someone who can read my mind or feelings or however you put that in betazoid terms you might get the feeling that i'm hiding something sure in the big picture or or i i don't i I mean i suppose it depends where this line of questioning goes but it's you you can't automatically say this is our guy Mm -hmm. just because i'm hiding something right because of a hunch give me essentially give me a third subject and and tell me if they're hiding anything yeah i bet you if you get you know 10 100 more people on the interview the whole ship come on Mm -hmm. due diligence right yeah interview the entire ship and and see how many people you feel are hiding something Mm -hmm. like if that's your criteria you're gonna be there a long time yeah and and matt i mean just since you kind of bring it up here and i'm not sure where this would fit in uh you know we talk about wanting to interact with the material so you know here we Mm go um you're a hundred percent right. The idea, the, the number of times that we see in television, especially now I'm not making any commentary on how this operates in the real world, because I don't know. I'm not a police officer. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. Sure. Okay. This is way out of my purview, but I, I, I watch TV and this is how it works on TV. They get a hunch. Well, how do you know it's him? I just, I just know it's just a, it's just a gut feeling, you know, monk monks entire, you ever watch that show? Yeah. Yeah. His entire thing was that's the guy. Well, you don't have any proof. I know, but that's the guy. And then monk just pressures him until he confesses like that's, that's rinse repeat. That's how his show works from like season four on. But, but so but he, he, he's usually right. But he's he right ha- because of how they, because of how they write the show, Matt. But I, I, I also think that he, he has more information that maybe he just can't explain. I, I, yeah. Yeah. You're right. And, and I'm, but my point being bring this back, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a loose parallel. It will break down. Okay. Sure. It's, it's a loose analogy. Um, but the, the point being of operating off of uh, he's hiding something. Mm-hmm. It's a hunch. I think he's the guy so, and bypassing what Picard's going to get into a little bit later of your innocence until proven guilty. These things mm-hmm. we have set up in our society, like bypassing that or just giving it a perfunctory uh, uh, place in how you proceed with, with a, with an individual, like it, it, we can't do that. It, it's just not okay. And I'm sorry, I, I cut you off. You're getting ready to say something. I, 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 I guess I don't necessarily have so much of a problem with him saying, he's hiding something uh-huh. and I don't have a problem. If he would have said we should look into him more, uh-huh. we should investigate him more, you know, see where he's been, see what, like th- th- to me, that's how investigating works. Sure. It's like, okay, yeah, you have a hunch now mm-hmm. investigate that hunch and go prove not, it. Yeah. Not yeah. you have a hunch. He's guilty of the, the, the crime or whatever we're trying to solve mm-hmm. just because he's like, if, if, if that's how our system works, if the first person who is hiding anything for any reason, oh, you're guilty of this crime we're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's messed up. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I'm actually, I think I want to save my main thoughts on this until a little bit later when, when things get a little more heated within the show, but the simple fact for me, and I'll, I'll reference,
reference back to this, that idea of, uh, to in, and Tarsus even set himself up for it. Do you want some counsel? No, I don't have anything to hide. Mm-hmm. But this idea of if you have nothing to hide, then you'll be fine. You, should, you shouldn't object to anything that we're about to do to you is dumb. Yeah. And we're going to see that come to life in the rest of this episode. So let's let's save yep. it for when we when we get to that spot. Go for it. Act three in the ready room. Picard and set Sadie are meeting. Picard said he's not allowed about to let any action be taken against Tarsus based on Sabin's intuition. Sadie doesn't understand. Picard's got his own beta Z that he uses in a similar way to which Picard concedes the fact. But he reiterates that he never bases his decision solely on her intuition. Sadie flips the script on Picard, to which Picard admits and says perhaps he needs to reexamine his own behavior regarding his Beta Z. Sadie says the priority here is to get to the bottom of the conspiracy and find the saboteur. I want to stop there for my own self, but Matt, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Throughout this entire hearing, is that is that the proper word? It's a hearing, hearing. so far. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I keep wondering why isn't Troy there? Like I I mean, okay, the Admiral brought her essentially, like you said in the beginning, counselor. Mm-hmm. Her it's her version of Troy. Right. So why can't Picard bring in his counselor and, and and like especially at this point when when they've kind of turned a corner with Picard and and Worf and stuff and said okay we trust you now mm-hmm. so you know what wouldn't you think m- more people on this case would be better especially more people who can feel a- a- as yeah. as Sabin and Troy do like just yeah. just that little extra bit of confirmation or at least for Picard to have somebody that he knows that he can trust exactly like that he has a working relationship with i i, I mean I, I i don't know if i want to go down this rabbit hole but like what's to say how, how do we know sabin is a betazoid actually fair enough like that that's just the, the, the admiral just said yes he's my betazoid so okay here we go and how do how do we know that he wasn't coached to say okay the the second guy or i mean maybe they had something against tarsus maybe i like just this is the guy it's like wouldn't picard want a second opinion when you have that that option on the ship already it's not I, like I, you had to bring yeah. someone extra in i wholeheartedly agree with you i think that's a that's a fantastic observation matt and and in a situation like this honestly simon tarsus on the basis of his humanity alone is owed that kind of thoroughness. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're going to point the finger at somebody, you have to be, it needs to be so thorough and so convinced and, and so proven that you're not just randomly doing that. Like, like he's really, this really has to be something he's guilty of. And for his protection, you you have to be that thorough, which all fairness. Yeah. I do think even if Troy was in the room, Uh she would have felt the same thing. Yeah. She would have confirmed his feeling, Uh but at the same time, I kind of wonder if she might have spoken up mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe that is she, is she half human as well. She is. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so maybe that, the, maybe that's the human side of her that would have uh-huh. spoken up and said, okay, he's hiding something, but well, that's what Troy would have done. And, and we I mean. have seen Troy do this. Now, I don't know, Matt, how often you've seen her do that in our run, but I can tell you as somebody who has watched the show a lot, mm-hmm. Troy will often go, this person is thinking this, or this person is hiding this, or this person is lying about something, but I can't tell you what. 
Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but something is definitely off. Like, like she will give that caveat. Saban doesn't do that here. You know, honestly, I, I think that's, that might be part of the reason the writers kept her out of the room. Could be. Uh, yeah, because they, they, they've they got to move the, not not just move the plot forward, but that's part of how they write the well, show, right? I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, like, I think it could have still played out just fine. It just would have mm-hmm. played out differently and and maybe not driven home their point quite as cleanly. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, I want to challenge something that Sadie says here, though. Okay. I, I want to completely challenge her entire presupposition that the priority is getting to the bottom of the conspiracy and finding the saboteur. I have a problem with that. I have a big problem with that. The priority is looking out for the rights and the well-being of the people, including Simon Tarsus and anyone that you might throw a suspicion eye at. That's the priority. Well, I think you have to wonder what, like, from what viewpoint are you looking at the priority? Because her priority for coming on the ship was to solve, you know, who who stole his information, who sabotaged the, the, the warp drive. So that was her priority coming on the ship. But if you if you sit down and say, okay, at this point in the trial, we have a suspect. Now, what is our priority? Like that changes, right? And so I, I think she she's looking big overall picture. Why I was sent here? Mm-hmm. This was my priority, but not not really taking into account everything that's happened since. Mm-hmm. And and if, honestly, I'm going to call BS on her whole statement here because what it really should say and what she really should have said was the priority here is to get to the bottom of a conspiracy and find a saboteur i don't think she really cared who it was she just wanted to find something yeah <laughs> she 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 was convinced she was gonna find something and she was gonna find who it was she, she was absolutely it, convinced yeah yeah and uh, she like, didn't for, really care who it was yeah. f- from the beginning like I, they, they basically told her the warp drive was sabotaged right so she she came in and she was gonna find a saboteur right right and there's a problem with that that if you yeah. start from that as a basis, you know, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, like we can divide this out. Like, oh, she's got to be concerned with getting to the bottom line of this. Whereas this person over here can be concerned about the human being and this person, like those things have to exist simultaneously within every individual within the Federation or within, let's bring it back home, our society, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, yeah, we need to get to the bottom of this and find out who it is, but not if it means sacrificing somebody's rights. And, and somebody's, um, uh, they're, uh, it's not their reasonable doubt, but, but, you know, reasonable doubt that they are, uh, that they're innocent of whatever you're talking about here, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, I, I think she's, she's just coming at this all wrong. The, the, the bottom line is not finding getting to the bottom of the conspiracy because that means all things else be damned. And that's mm-hmm. I, it's just not true. Like you you have to do that within the confines of how your society is set up. Yeah. At least ideally, if you want to be this kind of a people, then you need to act like it. And she's not acting like, it. yeah, well, just as I'm uneasy about this, Matt, Picard is also uneasy about this. If only they had clear evidence that Tarsus had actually done this. So no, Picard is not going to treat this man as if he's a criminal unless they actually have a clear reason to. Sadie disagrees. What if he is the saboteur and you're just giving him an opportunity to strike again? What if lives are lost this time? You Can you afford to not act? And that's when LaForge calls the captain over the comm. He asks the captain to come to engineering right away. Before I get to that, I I, I will want to say, in light of my statement that I mentioned a minute ago okay. about the getting to the bottom of the conspiracy, Sadie has a point here. If you don't act and you don't do something quickly, you could you could be giving the saboteur more time to strike again, and it could result in lives lost or the 
destruction of your ship or go down whatever slippery slope you want to go down. Sure. Right. But there are other ways to handle that. Yes, there are. And such as like, like instead of just going into it and saying he's the saboteur, we must stop him from doing anything else. Uh Uh-huh. Just set up more security. Yeah. Like if you, if you're worried about someone sabotaging the warp drive, mm-hmm. you make the warp drive more secure. There you go. If you're, if you're worried about someone stealing medical supplies, you make sick bay more secure. Yeah. Like you have a security team, right? Worf has, like we see in this episode, even which I don't always see all the time, but Worf has people working for him. Right. So he, he, he can set extra guards here and there and everywhere if that's what you need. And then mm-hmm. you're not saying he's the guy he's guilty we need to stop him you're saying we're protecting the goods we're protecting what needs to be protected until we find out what's going on like everybody else can still go about their business including anybody we might suspect Mm -hmm. but you're like you're gonna need like written permission from the captain to access these areas yeah and i i love that matt i love that as an answer like hey instead of restricting that guy there that you're blaming let's make everything else just more secure let's just make it more secure and i let's let's hype it up and it'll be inconvenient to everybody but that's kind of what it sounds like picard is getting at though right i agree i yeah that i don't know that picard ever goes to that step but he should well well, i mean i feel like that's the natural next step he, he does say i won't treat this man as a criminal until there is cause to do so right which is to say okay so i guess he doesn't necessarily take that step and say this is what we're going to do instead but he he's he is saying that i'm not going to just ruin this man's life Mm -hmm. because we suspect him right jordy and data are giving us a bunch of techno babble down in engineering about how they've been investigating this explosion long story short it wasn't sabotage at all. It's just part of a normal, undetectable defect probably installed back at McKinley Station. Three points to anyone who can remember that reference. <laughs> Sabin doesn't believe it was an accident at all. Sadie doesn't really care or not if it was an accident. She's still convinced there's a conspiracy on board this ship. Worf gets in on the action. He thinks they should continue to investigate Tarsus, even if it's only to prove Tarsus's innocence. To which Picard declares, let me remind everyone, he is innocent until proven guilty. But Sadie convinces Picard to let the investigation continue, you know, to unequivocally prove Tarsus's innocence for his own sake, Picard. Things just spiraled out of control here. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it starts with Sabin say just he won't believe that it was an accident. Right. Like, okay, right then and there, like if your investigators won't believe that it was an like just write off an, a plausible ex- explanation because they don't like it. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Yeah. Like I would think they got to have the, the Federation has to have records of things. Right. Right. And if you have a faulty part like that, especially for a warp drive, there's got to be a record of that. Mm-hmm. This probably isn't the only warp drive that's ever failed. So mm-hmm. th- there's probably some record of faulty parts like this. Mm-hmm. So like, go check that out. That could be a possible avenue. Right. Or something like my point being that if he just won't believe it was an accident. And then, like you said, Sati, like just needs to find the culprit, needs to find the saboteur, needs mm-hmm. to find some guilty party. Mm-hmm. To which she has narrowed it in on being Tarsus. It's sure. got to be him now. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they have had a term for this back in the day. I mean, we still use it today, but I, I believe it's a witch hunt. Yeah. And Matt, since you brought that up, I'll, we'll go ahead and mention it here because we're about to get into 
into this part of the episode. Um, this episode was written with the idea of the Salem witch trials in mind of that, that sort of general McCarthy era communist hearings from mm-hmm. the fifties. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but I mean, basically it's this idea that they would bring people in on these, these big trumped up charges. And it, you know, I mean, it was a drumhead type trial and they would just pressure people, pressure people, put all this, this circumstantial evidence together to prove that there's something that they're really not just mm-hmm. so they can have a bad guy. So they can have an enemy yeah. that everybody could unite against. And it was disgusting. And it was, it was, it was eventually stopped at relatively quickly, but not quickly enough in my opinion yeah. <laughs> you know and same thing certainly with the same witch trials but this i mean that's exactly what this is meant for and the the message i think that the writers are sending with this it's not that i think I, they said this is the idea that this could still happen today if we're not vigilant this is the road that we could go down and we we can't go down this road and so they're giving us a very clear picture of what that road looks like if you go down it um reminding sure. us what it does back when tv felt the responsibility of being moral <laughs> and teaching us stuff picard enters the trial room rather full noticing that the room is rather full admiral sati has opened these proceedings to the spectators it's good for morale and saboteurs are like cockroaches they don't like the bright lights but this just feels wrong. Picard has already assigned Riker to be legal counsel for Tarsus, to which Tarsus protests again. He doesn't need protection. He hasn't done anything wrong. Riker's still going to be there for him, though. Dr. Crusher is called first. She is asked about an innocent social gathering where it seems that both Tarsus and Jadan were in attendance. Picard has had enough. Admiral, if you have a case against Tarsus, you better present it or I'm stopping this here and now. To which Sadie nods to Sabin, who begins the questioning. This is a railroad job of questioning from the start. It starts with flimsy circumstantial evidence of questioning and quickly, and I mean quickly, Matt, moves into asking a string of questions and doesn't even give Tarsus a time to answer even one of them to an outright lie of a question saying that the explosion was caused by a chemical that Tarsus had access to and culminates in, how can we believe someone who we know to be a liar? And when Riker objects, Sabin presses in even further and outs Tarsus as someone who lied on his Starfleet application. His Vulcan grandfather was in fact a Romulan, to which Tarsus, on the advice of his counsel, pleads the fifth. Yeah, he does. Okay, so going back, I I have a hard time understanding why she opened this up to so many people Mm -hmm. like even her explanation doesn't fully make sense to me yeah like cockroaches don't like the bright lights to me that says they're gonna run away they're gonna pull back hide in their shell like because that that's the way i would feel like Mm -hmm. if you put me in front of a larger audience i'm a lot less likely to spill the beans Sure. Than I would in front of two or three of my, you know, commanding officers. Right. And so, like, I, I, I don't get that. I, I don't understand that at all. Like, well, because because what she's looking to do is she's looking to trip him up. She's looking to trip him up into a confession, right? To make him so nervous and so agitated and so on edge that he winds up saying something that honestly might not even be true. Okay, the but it implies part. himself. You, you, you got me there. That I can see. Yeah. Yes, the more people makes him nervous, which means he might accidentally say something. Right. Okay. So she's fishing it's, for a confession it, that it might start, not even be true. But it's starting to make more sense. Yeah. But then they get to the point where they already know what he's lying about, right? <gasps> like they, they go in, they go into Can the we back scene. it up and talk about how they're lying in their questioning to him before they yes. even get to that? Yes, I hate that. But but they make the, like this is just a circus at this point. Yeah. They're just putting on a show. Yes. They, a drum head trial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Because it, 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 not not only do they have zero proof that he did what they're accusing him of, they found what he was hiding, what he was lying about, and mm-hmm. they, they 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 just put on this show to get to the before they even get to the point. It's like that should be a whole separate trial. Uh-huh. It's like okay, you lied on your application, take care of that. Mm-hmm. But lying on his application does not mean he did this. Like you said, he was hiding something big. Couldn't that be the something big? Obviously, it is. Yeah. But why can Saban not, not, why can't he read that? Yeah. Like when, when he, when he brings that up, it's like your father was, or grandfather was Romulan. It's like, shouldn't he get like the same feeling or the, the, the opposite feeling? Maybe I, I, right. I don't know exactly how Betazoids work, but like, shouldn't there be some sort of connection there? It's like, oh yeah, he's feeling the same feeling now. It's like, oh, you figured it out. You found me out. Mm-hmm. I, something in there. Yeah. Th- th- because this, the weight of lying thing. on a Starfleet application is grounds for his removal from Starfleet. Yeah. And he really loves his job in Starfleet as we'll find out in just a moment. Yeah. That's what he's so nervous about. And now all of a sudden he's about to be outed. Yep. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I get all that. Take care of that. Do your thing with that. But mm-hmm. why do you need to pin this other thing on him yet? I like, mm-hmm. I had no idea what a drumhead trial was before this episode. Sure. But if this is what it is, well, not only do I get the idea, but I, I, I fully understand why Star Trek wants to talk about it. Well, I mean, and and let's take it back to another fandom, Matt, our shared fandom where this whole thing started from Harry Potter. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, like in the fifth book, right? Yeah. You get that, you get that, Harry who himself gets trumped up on a drumhead type charge. That is a very good. I mean, it's the same good thing. Example. Right. Yep. And it's yep. it's the line of questioning that, that he is being asked is, um, you know, it, it, it reeks of this absolutely mm-hmm. reeks of this. So, uh, and this is not the first time we've seen Star Trek do this. Remember we watched this back in, in season one, uh, with an episode where they were trying to, to show us that Picard had, you know, done something. Remember that guy that was kind of square. I forget which episode it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the one where he was asking him mm-hmm. the, the, the questions and it's like, well, yes, that's true, but mm-hmm. that's not the entire story. Exactly. That one, that yeah. one specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Act four, in the conference room, Security Chief Worf is in the midst of leading uh, a thorough and deep investigation of Tarsus. But Picard wants a word. Don't you see what's happening here, Mr. Worf? This is a drumhead trial. A sham. A f- ben, I really wish I could do a Patrick Stewart impression. I cannot, <laughs> and I will not try. A sham, a flam, a phlegm, a railroad job. Worf argues Tarsus's silence about his grandfather proves his guilt. An innocent man would have no need to hide. Hmm, this sounds familiar. Picard objects. The seventh guarantee, what we know as the Fifth Amendment, of the Federalist of the Federation Constitution cannot be twisted to use against our own citizens. Worf slips into the, we must seek out our enemies. But Picard so wisely says, that's how it starts. The road of legitimate suspicion to rampant paranoia is very much shorter than we think. Picard leaves saying he doesn't like what we have become. Yep. Let's repeat that one more time. The road from legitimate suspicion to rampant paranoia is very much shorter than we think. Mm. Mm. I don't think we can say that enough. Right. That is, is the key to this episode. Mm -hmm. I, 
I'm very thankful they put that line in there because right. I I'm I feel it's what they built this episode around. Right. And I don't think I could have put those words together. Yeah. So I'm glad they did it for me. But yes, the road from legitimate suspicion to rampant paranoia is very much shorter than we think. Yeah, it's crazy. And this is where I want to go back to kind of what I had started talking about earlier yeah. of the idea that if you have nothing to hide, then you should be fine, which is exactly Worf's whole like line of thinking here mm-hmm. um you know because he lied that proves his guilt no it doesn't it does not <laughs> yeah it, no it, it, it's it, circumstantial it, proves, it doesn't look good but it doesn't yeah, prove yeah. anything it, it, it proves he lied on his application that's yes it. yeah that's it that's all it one means. thing has nothing to do with the other right it just it's called coincidence uh you know bad luck on on tarsus's part um but th- this line i i hear this line so often these days matt mm-hmm. of if you didn't do anything wrong then you should have nothing to hide yeah. And that is that is complete false because maybe you do have something to hide. Yep. And maybe maybe you did something wrong, but it's not what we're talking about here. Or maybe yep. it's not actually, you know, that big of a deal. Maybe you have you don't know what somebody is not wanting to confess, what they're not comfortable talking about yet. Maybe it's mm-hmm. not a crime. Maybe it's just something deeply personal that they don't want to discuss. Maybe it's a personal shame or exactly. or whatever, whatever it is. And you have no right to suss that out because, well, if you don't have anything to hide, then you'll just do whatever I tell you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that becomes a problem very quickly. I I mean, I can think of things that have happened or that I've done in my past that I'm not happy with and uh-huh. I'm not proud of that I wish I hadn't done, but they don't have anything to do with my present circumstances. They don't have anything to do that's ha- happened with anything that's happened in the past decade. Right. Right. And so if someone sits down to interrogate me, it's like, I, yeah, there, there, there are questions I don't want to answer, mm-hmm. but it's not because it, 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 it makes me guilty of this thing that you're well, asking me about. Isn't that more of an indictment of, of your trust level of the person who's interrogating you? Because you don't necessarily trust that person to not take that and twist it against you sure, and turn it into something that it's not or something that it no longer is, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. It just, uh, no human being should have to go through that. You just shouldn't. Uh, the idea that you are guilty, or I'm sorry, not guilty. The idea that you are <laughs> innocent until proven guilty is, is a foundational cornerstone of, of our constitution of who we are here in America. I assume that that is a foundational cornerstone of, of several other countries throughout the world. I don't mm-hmm. know. I haven't read everybody else's constitution, but I assume that that's a, that that's a thing. Um, but, the 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 pressuring i just it's that that line of um if you have nothing to hide then you'll be fine and you shouldn't object it's just absurdity but i do want to talk about Worf's side where he says what what is it he says he says the federation has enemies everywhere and we must seek them out right the idea to me that if you live your life thinking that you see enemies around every corner that is no way to live to, to live your life in this constant state of paranoia of that guy's out to get me and that guy's out to get me and that guy's out to get me and that guy's going to go uh, rob my house and that guy's going to gonna mug me like, like that's a miserable existence. Very you know, much so. That's not but, living free. But I I would think I would say that that maybe feels more like a Klingon thing to say because he, that's that, that that warrior culture that we were talking about, right? Well, I 
I get where you're going with that. I think that lends itself as a, as an analog to what we're, what we're seeing here, but I don't want to lose this. Like there are people that live like this. Yes. And this is Star Trek saying, don't live like this because it's not a good way to live. Um, and, and in fact, what, what you're wind up doing is you're putting yourself in, in a more metaphysical jail when you live like that. Um, and, and the problem is, is when you're someone who is in power, you're putting everyone else around you in that jail too. When you, when you live your life of that person's an enemy, that person's an enemy, that person's an enemy, that person's an enemy, and we've got to guard ourselves and we've got to protect ourselves and we've got to do this. And you're a person in power that propagates out to other people as well. Okay. And we see, and, and that's what I'm saying of like, we see that with Sadie and then how that so easily goes to Worf and then how that goes to all of his security officers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how this feeling begins to spread. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 yeah. If, if my boss says I need to be paranoid of these people, I better be paranoid of these people. Right. Oh, the boogeyman's coming for you, you know, and then all of a sudden we all, ugh, you know, get locked down. And that has, that has nothing to do with the present situation that we, <laughs> that we as a world find ourselves in when this particular episode is going to release. I'm saying this more in general terms yep <laughs> um, like you say but as you say star trek is for the ages it is this it, is it, why it, the world it, needs it, star it trek poignant back then uh-huh. and it's poignant now yeah it would be poignant 100 years in the future yep let's continue here later picard is meeting with one mr tarsus this isn't going to end well. Tarsus tells the story. It's a heartwarming story of when he's a kid and he's a fine member of Starfleet. He chose to go immediately into service rather than spend four years at officer school. But now he feels that his career in Starfleet is done, fully confessing to lying on his application. Picard wants a word with Admiral Sadie, you know, his partner in all of this. Picard wants us to stop. It's gone too far. You're hunting an innocent man. Sadie chastises Picard. How can you be so naive? Ultimately, Sadie thinks she's doing the right thing. She's a patriot. This is what she lives for. The two partners are at an impasse. Picard orders the hearings to stop, but that's when Sadie drops the bomb on him. She's already been in contact with Starfleet. The hearings will not only continue, but they will expand, and they will be under the personal observation by the Admiral of Starfleet Security himself. And as she leaves, Picard lays it all out. This is unethical. It's immoral. And he will fight it. And she'll fight back. Sometime later, Picard is served with papers by Admiral Sadie's assistant. He, personally, is to be questioned before the committee. I don't like her anymore. There. You're not supposed to. Yeah. She has shown her true colors at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, I mean, at the beginning, she she was neutral. She was fine. And she... And she's like, oh, yeah, I, I, this is going to be, a, we're going to make a great team. Mm-hmm. And now, what is this? Maybe 24, 48 hours later, it feels like. Mm-hmm. I, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, nope, I'm on my own I, and I'm putting you on trial. Like, what? Yeah. I, I, I don't even know what to, no, no, she, she, she's gone to the dark side. <laughs> but, I also had a thought in this sequence here too. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't know if it's me misunderstanding something or they actually slipped up in the writing, but she, she has a little speech here mm-hmm. about how she spent the past four years going from planet to starbase to planet. She has no home. She hasn't seen a family member in years. She has no friends. Mm-hmm. Didn't they just pull her out of retirement? Yeah, she doesn't seem very retired, does she? Yeah, that <laughs> right? that doesn't sound like retirement. That sounds like your job mm-hmm. on the move all the time. So what? I I don't quite understand that, but okay. Yeah, yeah. What is she doing? <laughs> hey, let's wrap this up. Act five. 
It's the trial of Jean-Luc Picard, and the head of Starfleet Security is here. He's a quiet man. Picard would like to make a statement, to which Sadie tries to deny, but Picard quotes Starfleet Code and Regulations, and he says he's deeply concerned about what's happening here. Have we become so fearful and so cowardly that we must extinguish a man because he carries the blood of a current enemy? He calls for an end to this proceeding. Sadie, of course, completely ignores this and begins her questioning. She informs Picard that he has violated the Prime Directive nine times during his command of the Enterprise. Sabin commences with what amounts to a verbal clip show of several episodes that we've skipped, but they happen, Matt. And even Worf, who has been in the other corner this entire episode, comes to Picard's defense. And that's when he's stabbed in the back by Sadie and Sabin as they throw the whole, your father's a Romulan collaborator thing back in his face. And then Sadie brings up the Borg episode, you know, where he was part, where Picard was part of the loss of 39 ships and 11,000 Federation lives. It's a low blow as she outright questions Picard's loyalty. Once again, I don't like her. Yeah. I don't like where she goes with this. Yeah. I, I, I'm sitting here. I, and obviously the juxtaposition between her and Picard is huge because Picard's sitting there like calm, cool, collected. He knows his rights. He knows the law. It's like, no, I'm going to give my speech and I'm going to use that time to get under your skin. <laughs> like, right. I don't know if that was his actual intent or not, but obviously it worked. Mm-hmm. I, I I think at that he, he had to know at that point a little bit after their previous conversations, how, how strongly she felt about her father and stuff that mm-hmm. if he quotes her father back to her, like that's, she, there's going to be some kind of reaction there. Sure. Whatever that may sure. be. And you, so, and you can picture Picard like in his ready room, getting ready for this mm-hmm. rereading the yep. words of, of judge mm-hmm. Aaron Sadie. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, Picard's no dummy, you know? Uh, oh yeah. He, he's a well-read man. Of oh, least. sure. Sure. Well, speaking of that, let's let's cover that. Picard answers by not answering at all. Instead, he recites a quote with the first link. A chain is forged. The first speech speech censored. The first thought forbidden. The first freedom denied chains us all irrevocably before you wreck your brain trying to figure out where you've heard that before. It's completely made up for the show and it's attributed to Admiral Sadie's father. Nevertheless, they are words of wisdom and a warning that can reach through all time and all situations to be applied, applied to all today's forever. The first time any man's freedom is trodden upon, we are all damaged. Picard is interrupted by a disturbed and irate Sadie. How dare you invoke my father's name? And she melts down and goes on a diatribe as she accuses Picard and announces her intent to go after him personally and bring him down. But the Admiral of Security has had enough. He gets up and walks out of the proceedings, not saying a word. A recess is called as one by one, everyone leaves until Admiral Sadie is left alone in her silence. This is a beautiful sequence. <laughs> not only does is this the point where she just completely breaks down and and reveals her true colors mm-hmm. but like she was the one who invited the admiral right she and, and the fact that he just gets up and walks out without saying a word uh-huh. obviously I, I i'm sure that so they didn't have to pay him anymore but in any case it plays out very strongly mm-hmm. he doesn't say a word even better he leaves in the middle of her speech 
Yeah, it was great. Like, it was such a power like, move. I, such I've heard a power enough. Move. I, I, don't, know, I, yeah. I don't care what you have to say anymore. I'm done. Yeah. This is like he he, he quickly like he was there for yeah. five minutes. And he it's not like he slips out like around the back. Like he walked through the middle of the room. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, he, he was the most powerful man in the room. Yes, he was. So yeah, he, he can do it at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's fantastic. The, the I, I guess it's not quite as much of a surprise at this point mm-hmm. when, like I said, to see, see Sadie's true colors shining here. But usually when when Worf's father is brought up and and his discommendation and stuff, it's usually the other Klingons rubbing it in his face. Right. So I didn't expect to see that here from the Federation side. But at this point, I mean, OK, yeah, she's still on the Federation side, I guess. She wants to protect the Federation, but it just feels weird to to see that coming from from this side as well. Worf has to take it from everybody. Kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave that particular one right there for now. But I do want to talk about some of these lines that mm-hmm. are written specifically for this show. Matt, we brought up one just a, just a few minutes ago. Um, what, what is it? You you quoted it back to me. The path from the road from is, legitimate suspicion to rampant paranoia is very much very shorter much, than we think. Yeah. A, a line written, not pulled from anywhere else, written directly for the show. Mm-hmm. But then we add to that. Uh, I mean, gosh, th- this is this is poetic. With the first link, a chain is forged. The first speech censored, the first thought forbidden, the first freedom denied, changes all irrevocably. And then the first time any man's freedom is trodden upon, we are all damaged. I mean, those are those are just heavy hitting statements like Edgelman stone on a wall somewhere. <laughs> you know, honestly, I mean, it's almost sounds like it could be Shakespeare if he lived in the 20th century. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. It really makes me wonder if this isn't from somewhere else or or some version of it, you know, maybe modified a little bit. Well, um, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like a, a lot of Shakespeare, it, it, it was just, well, we, we, we do have it in English. It feels like a different language. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so that's that, that that's what I'm getting at is, is like if you modernized it, if mm-hmm. Shakespeare used the language of the 20th century. Right. I'm thinking may, maybe he might sound a little bit like this. Right. Yeah. And here we have Picard or here we have Star Trek showing us ourselves mm-hmm. and how we ourselves live. And and I go back to the words, Matt, that honestly it started. I, it was in our very first episode, the one we did on Balance of Terror. Um, nope. I'm sorry. The Corbomite Maneuver, where Captain Kirk declares as, you know, they're, they're about to leave a guy who's been threatening them with his ship damaged and he might blow up. It's time to let our high sounding or to see if our high sounding words have any meaning or to live mm-hmm. by our house and whatever, whatever the exact phrase is. But it's, yeah, it's I, that idea. I, I, I remember that phrase with high sounding words. Yeah. It was an odd phrase. Right. It, it, it's yeah, it's worded so weirdly, but it's that basic idea. Like we have all these ideals. It's time to see if we actually can live by them. Sure. And and be who we say we're going to be. And this is that's what this is to me. Like, can we be who we say we're going to be um, as a society, as a culture and where we are? And can we also forgive when people, you know, stray from that for a little bit? Mm-hmm. Worf comes to see Captain Picard in the conference room for a little private chat. Worf informs Picard that Admiral Henry has called an end to all the hearings in this matter. And Sadie has quietly left the ship. Picard waxes, uh, waxes philosophical. You think we've come so far from the witch trials, but someone will always be around waiting for the right climate in which to flourish. I would have said fester (laughs) to spread 
fear in the name of righteousness. Worf still can't believe that he got caught up in it all. Picard comforts him. Constant vigilance. And that's the price we have to continually pay. And this episode, Matt, is why we continue to say the whole world needs to sit down together and watch Star Trek. The end. You got it. Well, Matt, mm-hmm. that's the episode, buddy. That is the episode. That is the episode. Um, I'll give you a chance for any final thoughts before we we uh, get out of here. I think I'm pretty good. Like I said, it got kind of heavy, so sure. I'm I'm happy to leave it there. All right. Constant vigilance. There <laughs> Everyone take a drink. Um, Matt, I, I have one more thing I do want to say. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a documentary about the first season of the television show Picard. Uh, not the character. There's an actual show now called Picard. Yep. And anyway, it, it's one where Patrick Stewart himself was being interviewed. Now, keep in mind, it's been 20 years for him since he put on the Starfleet uniform and sat in the captain's chair. Uh, mm-hmm. By that, I mean Patrick Stewart, not the character. Um, yes. Actually, it's true of the character as well. Anyway, <laughs> up until recently, uh, Star Trek's been off the air for over a decade. And Patrick Stewart was reflecting, and he said this. Patrick Stewart himself said the world needs Star Trek. And Matt, you know, I got, I got so excited because that's Uh why we do this show, you know? And that's one of our mantras here at the beam me up podcast. This is why I am truly passionate about introducing people to Star Trek, not just because I'm a fan of the show and believe me, I am, but because I really believe that the world needs Star Trek. And this episode is one among many, but this episode in particular is one that always flits through my mind. Whenever I hear this phrase or think about the idea that the world needs Star Trek. And even when I personally say it, this is the episode that sort of flits through my mind because of the the ground that we just kind of walked through. Uh, so I'll say it one more time, Matt, the world needs Star Trek. And this episode is why it, it's a perfect example of why. Sure. With that, we'll leave this episode in the rearview mirror. Matt, would you like to know what our next episode is? That would be good to know. We are doing an episode called Half a Life. It's actually the very next episode. So that also means that there's no extra viewing for you to worry about for this week. But Half a Life, um, maybe a few surprises in on that. But uh, I'm not going to give you any hints. We'll see what you think about this show, uh, this particular episode next week, especially coming off the drumhead. I'm very interested to talk to you about that. But Matt, uh, with that, man, that's going to do it for us for this week here at Beam Me Up Pod. So, hey, friends out there, what did you guys think about this episode? What have you thought about from best of both worlds all the way up till now? Write in and let us know. Email us to beamyuppod at gmail.com or head over to beamyuppod for more ways to contact us. Matt, tell the folks where they can get a hold of you out there on the Internet. Best place to do so is over on Twitter at As A Matter Of Matt. And I'm Brent Allen Live across all the social media accounts. I'd love to connect with you there as well, too. Well, guys, that's going to do it for us this week. Until next time, live long and prosper.